Today we're concluding our message series, Praying the Psalms. And we've been looking in this series at different types of psalms, which represent different types of prayers. And as we learn more about the psalms, God is helping us to grow in our prayer lives. Now today our message is entitled, Prayers About Jesus. Now, you might think that Jesus isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. And that's true, although Jesus is not mentioned by name in the Old Testament, the whole of the Old Testament points forward to the coming Messiah, whom Jesus was and is. Today we're going to look at some of what are called the Messianic Psalms. These are Psalms about the promised Messiah or anointed one who was to come. In the New Testament, the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one, or the Messiah. And so when we say Jesus Christ, we are saying Jesus the Messiah. So let's look a little more closely at how the Old Testament looks forward to the coming Messiah. Way back in Genesis, we see that God created the entire universe, and He created mankind to dwell on the planet Earth. He created man in His own image. Adam and Eve succumbed to Satan's temptation and they fell into sin. And they came under the curse of sin. In announcing their judgment and the curse upon them and upon our world because of sin, God gave a promise about a coming deliverer as He announced the curse on the serpent. We read about it in Genesis 3.15. God says, I will put enmity between you, speaking to Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring, Satan's offspring, and her offspring. He, the Messiah, shall bruise your head, Satan's head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so God is speaking of the warfare between Satan and mankind. He prophesies that an offspring of Adam and Eve, or the seed of them, will crush the head of the serpent, Satan, while Satan will strike his heel. And this pointed forward to Jesus, the coming Messiah, who defeated Satan on the cross through dying and rising again from the dead on the third day. So way back in Genesis 3, we see the first, the first prophecy of a coming Messiah. Then we see in the prophets, here's one example from the prophet Isaiah in 53, verse 5. It says, but he, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so the prophet Isaiah speaks of a coming, suffering Messiah who would die for our sins to bring us peace, healing, and forgiveness. Psalm 16, which we won't be looking at today, in verse 9 says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And these verses in Psalm 16 speak of the Messiah whose body would not decay in the grave as he would be raised from the dead. And these very verses are quoted in in Acts chapter 13, as being about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah from the dead. Finally, let's look at the prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so in our last scripture here, as this brief survey about the Messiah in the Old Testament, we see the prophet Daniel looking forward to the second coming of Christ, who comes back to this world to rule and reign forever over the kingdom of God. Now, the Old Testament contains over 300 references to the coming Messiah, which were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And these fulfilled prophecies are, are a supernatural confirmation that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, that he is the promised anointed one, the very Son of God. Now, in the New Testament, we see the writers using two main things to establish that Jesus was the promised Messiah. They first spoke of Jesus' resurrection from the dead as one of the signs that he was the Messiah. And secondly, of the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Now, the Messianic Psalms that we're going to be looking at today should help us to better understand and appreciate who Jesus is and what he has accomplished as the Messiah. We can praise and, and thank him for being the Messiah through these Psalms. And secondly, these Psalms can increase our confidence in the supernatural nature of God's word as we see these prophecies made thousands of years before the coming of Jesus being fulfilled in the person of Christ. And finally, these Psalms can help us in our witnessing to unbelievers, showing them the eternal coherence of Scripture, speaking accurately about Jesus the Messiah over thousands and thousands of years. So today we're going to get started with the second Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, which speaks of Jesus as the Anointed One or the Messiah. So let's read beginning in verse 2. It says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His Anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now this verse 2 is quoted in the New Testament in the prayer of the early church in Acts chapter 4. And in their prayer, it's clear that the anointed one refers to the Messiah who was Jesus Christ. The kings of the earth are the, are the worldly leaders who are in general in rebellion against the leadership, the kingship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Worldly leaders do not want to submit to God's word. They do not want to submit to Jesus commands. They want to be in charge of their own actions. They want to be in charge of their own kingdoms. And what is God's response to the rebellion of worldly leaders? Well, we find it in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so God is not threatened by the rebellious actions of unbelievers any more than a parent is threatened by a, a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. God laughs at the antics of the ungodly, even those who are leaders. The wrath of God is directed against all those who oppose His rule. You see, God the Father has set His King, the one and only King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus rules and reigns even now, even though all do not acknowledge his kingship. Jesus rules over his kingdom. Here it's called Zion or, or God's holy hill. Now in these last days, until Jesus returns, God gives an opportunity for the rebellious to repent and to acknowledge that Jesus is indeed King and Lord. Moving on to verse 7, it goes on to say, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So in this psalm, God the Father, the Lord, is speaking to Jesus, his son. He speaks of the future when Jesus is going to return in judgment. And at that time, all the rebellious will be judged and they will be removed from his kingdom. At that time, the nation and the ends of the earth will be renewed in righteousness. And the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. The psalm ends in verse 12 which says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so this psalm ends with an appeal to those who are rebellious, to those who refuse to submit to the rule of the Messiah. The appeal is to kiss or to worship the son, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who worship and take refuge in him will be blessed, and they will not perish under The wrath of God. Jesus is the anointed one. He's anointed as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Psalm chapter 2 can bring us great hope in the midst of the situation that we find ourselves in today in America in the year 2020. We're tempted to think that everything is out of control. We have pandemic, we have riots, we have violence rampant in our cities. But God in heaven is not worried. God in heaven is not fearful. He's sitting in heaven and and he's laughing at those who are shaking their fists at him, who are refusing to obey and follow his word. He loves the people who are in rebellion, but he's not threatened by them in the least. He is sovereign. He's completely in control. And so we also, as believers, must be like our Father in heaven. We put our trust in him and his Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They are in charge. They are in control. We bow our knee to them alone. He will bless us as we take refuge in him. Now let's turn to the second Messianic Psalm we're going to look at today. Psalm 22, which talks to us about the suffering Savior. Psalm 22 begins in verse 1 and says, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Now, one of the main reasons that the Jewish people did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah was that he did not come as a suffering king. Psalm 2 that we just went through prophesied of Jesus as ruling and reigning over the whole world. And yet, even today, we do not yet see everything and everyone in submission to him. Jesus came the first time into this world as a suffering servant. And we, his people, in these last days also live as suffering servants. And Psalm 22 has many of the prophetic details about Jesus' death on the cross as the suffering servant. We see in verse 1 the very words that 
were spoken by Jesus as he was dying on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, because of the sin of the world that was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross, the Father had to turn his face from him. Their close relationship was for the first time in eternity broken because of the weight of our sin upon Jesus Christ. The psalm continues in verse 7. It's as if Jesus the Messiah is speaking. He says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me as they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. And these verses speak of the mockery of those who are watching and assenting to the crucifixion of Jesus. Calling down curses on him. Mocking him. As he was nailed to the cross and dying there. Verse 16 continues. It says, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. And so these verses describe in great detail the things that happened to Jesus on the cross thousands of years after this psalm was written. They speak of the nails piercing his hands and his feet. Despite his death on the cross, none of Jesus' bones were broken, contrary to the normal practice in crucifixion in which the legs are broken. Even the details of the soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothing was accurately prophesied in this psalm thousands of years before it happened. The psalm concludes in verse 27. It says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And so Psalm 22 ends with the triumph of the Messiah, with all the families of the nations of the world worshiping him as he rules over the world after his second coming. And so Psalm 22 has some of the most amazing prophecies of Jesus' death on the cross. It builds our faith. It informs our witness as to the reliability of God's word. And as we study, as we pray about Jesus as, as this suffering servant, we must realize that he calls us to be suffering servants of his as well. Oh, we would all like to rule and reign right now, would we not? And while there's a sense we can exercise spiritual leadership now, we will not rule and reign with him in an earthly sense until he comes again. In the meantime, we take hope as we look to the future, as we look to the second coming of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the present, we follow the path of Jesus, the suffering servant. But even as the suffering servant, he brought the power of the kingdom the kingdom of God, the supernatural rule of God broke into our world through miracles, signs, and wonders. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can bring that power of the kingdom into our world today as well. Jesus was the suffering servant. Finally, we see Jesus as the eternal king and priest. Our third psalm this morning is Psalm 110, which begins in verse 1 and says, the Lord, speaking of Yahweh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now Jesus himself quoted this first verse of Psalm 110 to confound the Pharisees. They could not figure out how the Messiah could be both the son of David and the Lord of David. And yes, that, yet that is what Jesus was. He was a descendant of David, so he was a son of David, and yet he was the Lord of David. Jesus is now ruling in the midst of his enemies. He's in the process of making his enemies his footstool. And yet, even now, not everyone has bowed their knee to King Jesus. The Bible teaches us that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Until that time, as Christians, we should only kneel and worship God alone. Verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so the psalm is speaking of the Messiah. Not only is Jesus the reigning eternal king, he is also a priest like Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is an is a Old Testament priest, a mysterious figure that has no genealogy. It appears he has no beginning and no recorded end. And he is a type of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now what does a priest do? Well, a priest enters into the presence of God to pray for and bring about forgiveness of sins. And that's what Jesus does. The psalm continues in verse 5. It says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. And so this psalm ends with the great day of the Lord, the judgment day. And on that day, the wrath of God will be revealed against all sinners, against everyone who has not bowed the knee, who has not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He will execute judgment on the unbelievers. He will consign them to eternal destruction in hell as He purifies His kingdom in which the righteous will shine forever and ever. Jesus will always be the eternal Lord and Priest. Now, the book of Hebrews goes into great detail of Jesus as the great high priest who continually intercedes for his people. That is you and me if you're a believer and listening to this message. We can take comfort in the fact that not only does Jesus rule and reign, he also cares about every believer that puts their faith and trust in him. He is interceding for you. He is praying for you today. The scripture says that that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through in life. He lived on this earth. He was tempted. He was attacked in every way just as we are. And He's praying that you will remain strong in the face of temptation. That your faith would not fail in the face of attacks. He wants you to be with Him forever. That's why He died for you. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Anointed One. He's the Suffering Servant and the eternal king and priest. And every day we should worship him for who he is and what he has done for us because of his great love. Now this morning I want to give everyone who's listening to this message an opportunity to move from being under the wrath of God to come 
into the glorious love of God. To go from being an enemy of the cross, an enemy of Jesus, to becoming a child of God. And you do that in three simple steps. First of all, you admit that you've sinned, that you are in rebellion against God. And you ask God to forgive your sin. You repent. You turn away from those sins. Secondly, you believe in Jesus Christ. You trust your entire life to Him. Asking Him to forgive your sins, to come into your life. Believing that He rose from the dead and He's alive today. And see you commit your life to following Him. Everything that He tells you to do forever and ever. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me, to become a child of God, to have your sins forgiven, to have your guilt removed, to having a purpose, an assignment from God in life. If you'd like to do that for the first time or you'd like to renew your commitment to God, perhaps you've wandered away and you know you're not as close as you once were and God wants you back close to himself. So pray along with me as I pray this simple prayer. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I I repent. I turn away from those things. I believe that Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. He paid the price, the penalty for my sins. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I, I commit myself to following you and your word all the days of my life. Thank you for changing me. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well this morning. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, the anointed one, for our Messiah. We thank you that he shed his blood on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. We thank you that his body was broken on that cross, that we might be healed emotionally, physically, spiritually. Forgive us, God, for not giving Jesus first place in our lives, and in our actions. We pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that rested on Jesus, the anointed one, would be upon us as as well. We ask for the kingdom power that Jesus' ministry had would be in our lives too. May we embrace the suffering for your kingdom with joy. Forgive us for being silent about your truth, for fear of what others might say or do to us. Help us to be courageous as lions as we serve you, our eternal King. We thank you that you are continually praying for us because of your great love. May our lives please you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, if you made a commitment to Jesus Christ or you'd like more information about Life Church, I'd encourage you to Connect with us. There should be a link below this video wherever you're watching that you can click and fill in some information and we'll keep in contact with you. We'll pray for you. We'll offer you some helpful information and materials. You can find out more information about us on our website, lifechurchstlouis.org. Our Sunday morning services are now open. We're, we're meeting in person. It's at Sundays at 10 a.m. Our address on our, for our facility is 15036 Clayton Road in Chesterfield. Uh, we invite you to come if you're living in the St. Louis area. We're about 30 minutes from just about everywhere in the St. Louis area. Next Sunday, we're going to be beginning a new message series called Life Lessons from the book of James.
We're excited about this series and how it's going to help us walk with Jesus. Online donations help us as a church to reach more people for Jesus, both online and in person. And you can help uh, by giving at lifechurchstlouis.org slash give. And uh, we want to encourage you that God is with you. Jesus is praying for you. And God has good plans for you. So God bless you and have a great week.